Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quinn Cummings Gives Bad Advice, the podcast where I, Quinn Cummings, give advice to people I do not know. If you're joining us for the first time, you may be asking yourself, does Quinn really want to give me bad advice? And the answer is no, I do not want to give you bad advice. I want to give you good advice. But I have absolutely no qualification to give you any sort of advice at all. I am not a realtor. I'm not a radiologist. I'm not a Rotarian. I give advice because it amuses me to do so. So you might be asking yourself, will this advice I'm about to give you be good advice? Well, I think the answer is in the title of the podcast. If you want me to give you bad advice, you can leave a question for me at qcbad.com. It's completely anonymous, and better yet, it's completely free. So I can offer up this advice with a 100% money-back guarantee. Now, let's get started. My first question today comes from qcbad.com. Subject. Mom is 83 and declining, and I'm prepping a nervous breakdown. Hi, Quinn. Dad died in 2011, and I've yet to deal with it. Now, Mom is having a lot of issues at 83, and there's a general sense of panic lurking in my chest cavity 24-7. We have had a very dicey relationship at times, but damn. Any advice for dealing with unbearable anxiety about all of this? I'm getting this question every week. I'm getting this question two and three times over every week. I don't know what consolation you can take in this, but the next time you are walking the hallways at a hospital because your mother finally went to sleep and you're waiting for the doctor to come by and talk to you, look around. Everyone is there with you. The anxiety you're talking about can be different. It can be... She's going to die and we'll never have finished our stuff. Or she's going to die and does that make me the next one? There are lots of forms of anxiety. The only thing I can tell you, having lived with anxiety my entire life, is cognitive behavioral therapy right now might be your friend. You can find a lot of the tools online. How do I put this? Anxiety gains energy from you running away from it. It's like, okay, I always come back to my cats, but if, if the, the crinkle ball is on the ground, the cat doesn't see it. If I kick it away, the cat has to chase it. It's moving. The anxiety likes for you to be running from it. That's where it gets its energy. So I want you to turn, and whatever the anxiety is you are feeling now, I want you to keep saying two words. Yes, and? Let me give you an example. I'm afraid that my mom is going to die and we'll never have finished our stuff. Yes, and? Well, then we'll never have finished our stuff. Yes, and? Well, I could have been a better child? Yes. And? Just see where it goes. I can only speak for myself. If I look closely at something which is making me anxious, it starts falling apart. 
it only works if I don't really look at it and I just race away from it. The reality is it's pretty flimsy. The time you're in right now is stressful. Where you can try to pick apart the ones that feel like they might be coming from inside the house, metaphorically. And I will offer you this one. You are doing the best you can. Your mother did the best she could do. Even if she wasn't a great mom, that was the best she could do at that time. Even if you feel as if I should be doing more right now, you are doing the best you can. Stay hydrated, get sleep, and cut yourself some slack. Dear Quinn, how does one get out of a dinner that has been going on once a month for years? I have two such dinners with two different groups of women about once a month. We've been doing this for years, so it has become an expectation. And when people stop showing up, there's usually gossip and or nasty comments made by each group's organizer about flakiness. Both groups are the same. The organizer emails the group asking for availability and then schedules around everyone. So declining the invitation hasn't worked. I've seen people, myself, try that and the organizer just badgers us for a time when we are available and builds the event around us. I have had no falling out with anyone. I just don't enjoy myself anymore. I live in a big city and have moved across town since both events began years ago. So inevitably, I spend an hour slogging through traffic getting to the event and almost an hour getting home. I don't love the food. It's gotten more expensive over the years, and I just don't have as much in common with these ladies as I used to. I can't tell either organizer that. They will just lecture me on the importance of girlfriends or find a different restaurant I still don't love. Help! I appreciate all of the reasons you told me why you don't want to go anymore. But before we even begin this, I want you to hear this. I don't want to go anymore is sufficient. Life is short, and you are allowed, nay, expected to grow and change. But you need a way to get out of this. Gotcha. Next time you go, you announce to the group that this is to be your last dinner for a while, because in order to make some extra money, you're cutting back on expenses and picking up some freelance work which means you have no time for dinners right now. What freelance work? Who can say? The beauty of the phrases freelance work and consulting jobs is that no one actually knows what they mean or don't mean, and therefore no one can call you a liar. Besides, you aren't a liar. During those times you would have been at a dinner you weren't enjoying, you might be thinking about something work-related. Ta-da! Freelancing. To make it sound less final, tell the host you plan to see where you are in January. You might be available for dinners at that time. You and I both know you won't be, but that's not her business. Dear Quinn, I will be making another attempt at making limoncello. I used vodka last time, but since some of the peels had a bit of pith, there was an aftertaste. What tool do you find best for peeling the lemons? I've heard others use Everclear or Moonshine as their base. 
What alcohol do you suggest? I've only made it the once, and I made it about two and a half weeks ago now because I was practicing peeling、uh, citrus fruit for my bartending class. So I bought a big bag of lemons and I peeled them. I used a peeler, which is used specifically for bartenders. It has a wider blade than the average parer, and that may have worked more effectively for keeping the pith off of it.、Um, as far as the underlying alcohol, I needed to practice pouring with the pour stopper that they use in a bar. So I bought a bottle of the cheapest imaginable vodka. I poured it out into a container, and I put water in there because I knew I was going to be making a mess. So I did that for a while, and then I looked over and thought, I have a pile of lemon peelings, and I have this vodka stuff, vodkask, and I put them together, and I let them marinate for a week and change. And a couple days ago, I added simple syrup, and I had consort taste it today because I have two cocktails a week, no more, and today was not a cocktail day, and he said it tasted like. Delicious lemonade that could knock you on your ass. So I'm thinking we accomplished something there.、Uh, so in sum, any clear is probably fine. Don't use gin; gin would be weird.、Uh, and try to get your hand on a bartender peeler. That might make the difference. Good luck. This came from QCBad.com. Subject heading. Where there is a will, there's a way. But what if there's no will? Dear Quinn, recently one of my parents had an accident and was hospitalized. While filling out the paperwork, I discovered that in addition to not having a medical directive, my parents do not have a will or the ancillary documents one would expect for a couple that are retired and own their own house and multiple vehicles. Thankfully, a full and complete recovery is expected for this incident. However, I am concerned that something be done before there is any significant physical or mental decline for either of them. I mentioned to them that once they were both at home, this gap needs to be addressed. But given the reception my comment got, I am not confident anything will be done. This is such a delicate topic in the best of scenarios, but given all that I have explained, I am at a loss with how to proceed. How can I bring up the subject again and assure that this has been addressed? In her seventies, my mother once came back from a water aerobics class and called me, telling me how nauseated and fatigued she felt, blaming it on the heat or the swimming pool or I I don't remember. But I said, "Mom, you might be having a heart attack. Those are the symptoms for a woman having a heart attack." She made the noise she always made when I said something which indicated I thought we were equals, which went like this. <sighs> And she hung up on me. An hour later, she called to tell me she was going to the emergency room because a friend of hers had suggested she might be having a heart attack because those were the symptoms women had. Six hours later, she called to tell me she was back from the ER. It wasn't a heart attack, and how she knew she shouldn't have listened to me. Our parents can love us, and also negate any wisdom we may have collected in our lives. As our parents get older, they start getting younger.、Um, your parents now are basically teenagers. 
they're not going to listen to you, the adult, because you're telling them what to do. The only people they will listen to right now are other teenagers, which is to say people their age. Do they have a friend or a peer that could have this conversation where the words go from your mouth into the elderly person's ear and into your parents' ears? Because it increases the odds it will be heard. You saying a medical directive is incredibly important, Dad, will not have nearly the resonance of his friend telling your father about how his brother-in-law went into a coma because he didn't sign a DNR and the family was bankrupted by the medical bills. You need to use a megaphone right now. That megaphone needs to be someone their own age. This came from QCBad.com with the subject heading, Stuck in a Cycle of Douchebags. Dear Quinn, My two favorite descriptors for myself both came from my exes. One was, quote, Not hot enough for crazy I am, unquote. And the other was, quote, Having daddy issues while still having a dad, unquote. Both were said during relationships that I then did not end for months. In case you can't tell, I attract a certain type. Sane, grounded, mature men tend to be understandably spooked by my mental stuff, which means I end up being with charming creeps who feed off my issues. They validate me just enough to reward me being with them, making me crazier, and when we inevitably break up because they sell my computer or sleep with my cousin, both real, I end up replacing them with basically identical douchebags. This cycle has been going on since high school, and I'm 26 now. I have no idea how to break it. I know I'm definitely feeding the pattern myself, but I can't stop myself from swooning when some pair of sunglasses tells me I'm the first girl he feels like he can talk to. What should I do? As Emily Dickinson said... The heart wants what it wants, or else it does not care. You know who else used that quote? Woody Allen. Sometimes the heart is mistaken. I suspect the charm of the asshole for you is one of two things. Either you desperately want to give meaning to the pain you have suffered in the past at these assholes' hands by finally winning, And by winning, I mean, I got one who didn't sleep with my cousin. Or, you keep finding them appealing because on some level, you have already measured out exactly how much they can hurt you. Yes, they do terrible things. They bring out the worst sides of you. They ruin your credit and your ability to have a civil conversation with your cousin. But some part of you remains safe and untouched. And when they blow up the relationship, something in your brain gets confirmation. On some level, these relationships reward your brain. You might not see it that way, but people don't do something for a decade for free without some kind of reward. Everything is a trade-off. 
I suspect you have unconsciously chosen an annoying yet familiar level of pain to avoid a real larger pain you fear comes with actually being seen and loved by someone worthy of you. When you figure out what that is, what the thing you think you are protecting at all cost is, when you fight that demon and win, because you will, you will step daintily over a bloodied field of douchebags and you will never look back. Okay, I think that's enough bad advice for today. And remember, I can't give you bad advice if you don't ask for it. Your question doesn't have to be profound, complex, or emotionally demanding. It can be about pretty much anything because, let's face it, I am unqualified to offer advice across a wide range of subject matter. And as we all know, sometimes the nuttiest question gets the best bad advice. You can reach me on Twitter, at Quincy. That's Q-U-I-N-N-C-Y at Twitter.com. Or you can post a question to qcbad.com. Just log into letter Q, letter C, B A D dot com, and there's a question form right there. The question can be any length, but I'm finding they work better if they're shorter. Just a hint. Before I go, I'd like to thank Richard Emmett, who composed my groovy music, and Keith Greenstein, who designed my groovy logo. People have already started asking me how they can get a bad advice fork in a toaster t-shirt or coffee mug, and my answer to them is, hang in there, we are working on it. I also want to thank Phil Rohr and Prime Rib Productions for making it possible for you to hear any of this. Okay, that's enough for now. Keep those questions coming, and I'll see you all next time. <laughs>